Jesus. Amen. Hi, everyone. My name is Clint Clifton. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been here since the church began, our very first worship service in this room. And I know I haven't uh, met all of you, or even maybe uh, there's a large portion of people here I don't know, but I'm so glad to see you here. There was a day years and years ago where we dreamed about this room being full. There's actually a Sunday uh, really early on in the life of the church where I set up 300 chairs in a room and put 280 reserve signs on 300 chairs and had 20 people sitting right up front just to say that we are praying one day that there would be a room full here of of chairs uh, full of people, and you are the answers to those prayers many years later, so we're grateful for that. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Colby and I have been talking about um, how the, the church turns over so much. Um, you may not realize that if you're kind of new here, but um, I come in as a person who's been here for a long time, and I talk to other people who've been here for a long time, and they have the same sentiment. Uh, I don't know any of these people. Who are these people? You know, it feels like uh, constantly there are new uh, people coming in, and um, Pastor Colby and I have been talking about the reality that it's important for us to um, say the most important things over and over and over again because there are always new people here. Now, for some people that aren't new and have been here for a long time, that stuff might feel old and tired and redundant, but it's really important for us to do that. So we've decided that over the course of the year, we're going to sprinkle in, um, uh, we're going to pause in our current sermon series and sprinkle in uh, uh, topics that are really important to uh, the life of our church. And so we're going to do that today. We're sort of pressing pause on our gospel clarity series in Romans just for uh, today, and we're going to talk about mission, the church's mission today. Now, um, I don't know uh, if you guys, uh, you men have made this transition yet, but I have uh, this, it's called a minimalist wallet. I'd never really heard of it. It's essentially a fancy rubber band, um, and, uh, and I got it a few years ago, and uh, it, changed, it changed a lot of things. I had a really big wallet before, even bigger than you might be imagining, you know, one of those like trifold things that's kind of bulky in the wallet, but mine was actually the size of a checkbook, so it hung out of the back of my pocket. Um, about four inches, and it was it was just huge, and it literally had my checkbook in it and, and pretty much everything else I had, and uh, the idea of using a wallet like this was pretty scary to me, um, but I, I, I made the transition pretty easy. I, I would often lose my wallet. It would fall in my pocket because it was top-heavy, you know, and uh, so I, when I got this one, I started, um, I started bragging about it, and I was even telling Pastor Colby, uh, hey, this is a great wallet, and he's got one identical. He's going to hold it up right now in the back, um, identical, and we, we are, we are uh, wallet twins now, and uh, so uh, we're, I was really passionate about this wallet and excited about this wallet, but it, it made me make some changes. I had to get rid of some stuff, and one of the things that was really not good about this wallet in the beginning was that I didn't like the feel of it in my front pocket. You know, it, would, it was kind of bulky sitting there in my front pocket, but one day, uh, after I'd had it for a little while, I realized it fits in this little pocket. But I, I almost forgot was there. This pocket, what is this pocket for? Change? No, you're wrong. I looked it up. This is called a watch pocket. And it was introduced by the Levi Strauss Company in uh, 1898, or 1888. And the reason was for your pocket watch. Yeah. And so the point I'm trying to make is that some things uh, set, start, started off with a very specific purpose, and as time went on, those purposes changed. And, 
and, and sometimes the changed purposes are okay. Even some companies like Listerine, for example, went through a, a meandering season of time where it, it, ha it was a lot of different things. Like they made a product, Listerine, and at first uh, it was a surgical antiseptic. <laughs> now, if you've ever tasted Listerine, that makes total sense to you. Uh, it was a surgical antiseptic, and, 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 uh, and they were cleaning up uh, during surgery with that. And then... Um, it was uh, later, they decided it wasn't really catching the market with surgical antiseptics, so later it became a cure for sweaty feet, actually. Uh, Listerine, the same formula, became a cure for sweaty feet. And then even later, after that didn't work, it became a dandruff treatment that you put on your hair. And then eventually it landed at mouthwash about 40 years after it was invented and initially marketed, and we've been using it in our mouths ever since. So uh, there you go. Also, bubble wrap. You're really familiar with bubble wrap, right? It started off as a textured wallpaper, and uh, they couldn't sell it. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Nobody wanted to buy it. So, uh, so when, uh, some of the, uh, when some products started coming out that needed to be packaged in soft packaging, the inventor thought, hey, we've got all this uh, wallpaper laying around. Why don't we use it for that? And that's how, that's how it happened. So I want, you to, I want you to just hear from me that we all know that sometimes things start off with one purpose, but as time goes on, they change. Sometimes those changes are good, um, and sometimes they're, they're not so good. Um, but I want to say that this applies very specifically to the subject we're going to talk about today, about the church's mission. And it, and, it, it, and it applies because the mission of the church, we all know, if, we, if I were to say what's the passage of the Bible that we get the, a direct kind of clarification about what the church's mission is, many of you would say that's Matthew 28, 19, or 18 through 20. And that's the Great Commission. Some of you would know it as the Great Commission. And you'd be right. That is the mission of the church. And we've spent many, many Sundays at this church digging through the Great Commission, looking at it from different angles, and trying to understand what it is, uh, what it means to us, and how we should, we should work to live by it. But the truth is, the Great Commission has grown to mean so many things that it, it doesn't mean uh, often, for many of us, it doesn't mean the, the specific thing that it was intended to mean. It has, in a sense, become so broad that it means, uh, that, that it means little. We, we use it to describe, you know, a, a lot of things in the church. And, and lots of people feel like they're involved in Great Commission activity when they're not actually doing the things that the Great Commission mentions by name. So, um, so what I'd like to do today is, is clarify a little bit about, about what it is that is the mission of the church. Now, I'm not going to use the Great Commission, although the Great Commission would be a great place to do that. But you're, we're really familiar with that. So I'd like to uh, look at two, uh, two texts today, actually, which this is pretty unusual for us to have kind of, kind of two uh, central texts. But I want to look at two different texts today uh, just briefly. Let's start off in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17. And we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 down through the end of the chapter. Is there somebody who's bold and has a loud voice that just wants to stand up and read those verses for us? Thank you. Yeah.
Amen. Thank you very much. So, what is the mission of the church? Uh, verses 17 through 20 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 really clarifies that for us. This is a letter to a church, and, and the, the, the writer here tells us specifically what the mission of the church is, and it answers really three questions for us. What is God aiming to accomplish in the world? Number one. Number two, what did God send Jesus to accomplish in the world? And then it also answers the question that's most applicable to us today. What has God sent us to accomplish in the world? What's God sent us to accomplish in the world? Well, according to the passage, God desires in the world reconciliation with man. We know this is the, the real problem. There's a chasm between God and man. God is holy. He's set apart. He's distinct. He's perfect. And he created man, and in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, man diverted from God's original plan and went his own way. He sinned against God, and that began a, a, a trajectory of sin that would beget sin, that would beget sin for generations that we are all living um, in the result of today. We don't know a, a sinless world. Uh, we only know the, the effects of sin on the world and on our own lives. But God is seeking to reconcile the world, the pe that is the people of the world, to himself and bring us back into right relationship with him, according to the passage that was read. Also, Jesus' role in this, according to the passage, is uh, not just that God's desiring to reconcile himself to the world, but that reconciliation with sinners um, is, is something that Christ, Jesus Christ is involved in. Uh, Jesus' uh, aim in the world is with God to reconcile sinners, or, or to, for God, uh, for God, reconcile sinners to him. And so Jesus comes to the world, he lives the perfect life, he dies the death that we deserve to die, and he reconciles uh, us to himself in his salvation. And then, and then we learn later in the passage that, that through Christ, we also, we get to be agents of this reconciliatory work that God is doing, that he has sent Jesus to do. We actually get to participate in that work too as his agents. He uses these interesting words to describe it. He says we're like ambassadors. We're like ambassadors. We go and carry the message of our king. This is, this is really powerful. So I love this passage because it, it describes what God is doing in the world. He's reconciling people to himself. What Jesus is doing, he is the manifestation of God, the God-made flesh who comes and, and, and sacrifices himself so that people can be reconciled. And we get to be agents going about telling others about the uh, reconciliation that God is doing in the world for those who have turned their backs on him. So this is, this is a summary, I think a great summary, of what our mission is in the world. We are, we are to be uh, agents of this reconciliation that God is trying to bring to the world. Let me look at, let's look at another passage real briefly. So if you will, join me in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I just want to look at verses 16 and 17, and maybe we'll hang out here just a little bit longer uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So what God's doing in the world is he's reconciling people to himself. And then we get to learn a little of the mechanics of it in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verses 16 and 17. We know this passage really well. I would say some of us probably have the, memorized this passage long ago. 2 uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable 
for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's two, oh, uh, two uh, words in there I want you to notice. It says all scripture is, is breathed out by God and, uh, and is profitable uh, for, it's profitable for, that word for. And then he says for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So this, pl- this, this passage has two sort of pivot points in it where, it where it tells us something and then it tells us the reason for something. And so I just I want you to see how this passage progresses. First, uh, we see that all Scripture is from God. Now this this feels pretty fundamental in a church like this. You've probably come here today because you believe the Bible, or at least you're curious about the Bible, or uh, you think that it's possible that the Bible is, is from God and contains God's truth. And you come here and 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 you've understood that. But I want to say to you today that the stance of our church and my personal belief and many others in this room uh, that have tested and tried God's word, we, we are here to say that all the words of God, the entire scripture, is breathed out by God, meaning it, 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 um, it starts with him, it comes from him. Everything that is in this book that we read are his communica- is his communication to us. He has breathed this out, he's delivered it to us, he's given it to us for And we're going to see all the reasons that he's done that for us. But the first thing I want you to see and understand that this all starts at a place where we recognize that the reality in the world is interpreted by us through the lens of God's word. We can't understand what's going on in the world without the Bible to tell us God's perspective on what's going on in the world. Because we have this small perspective that just sees right now in a limited space but God has this higher perspective that doesn't just see right now in a limited space but it sees what happened in the past as if it were today sees what happened in the future as if it's today and God has a perspective that we call uh, uh, omnipresence he gets to be present all places at one time he's all-knowing he gets to know all things at one time and when God communicates to us he communicates to us with a perspective that's much much better. This is what we do when we learn how to do anything. We submit ourselves to an instructor who knows a lot more about that subject, and even though it's against our intuitions often, we trust what the instructor says, and this is what we do when it comes to God's word. We say, not just does God have more knowledge about life in the world than we do, he could be wrong in some places, but we say, no, God has all knowledge. He knows everything, and everything he says to us about how we should live, and who we are, and who he is, and who the others around us are, everything he tells tells us is true all scripture is breathed out by God when we read something and it doesn't seem quite right to us we are wrong a hundred percent of the time God's word is truth to us we often come to the Bible as if we get to interpret it we stand over the Bible and we say I wonder if this is right or I wonder if this is wrong or I wonder if this is what it means or that's what it means but really the Bible is intended to interpret us it's to stand over us not us over it It's supposed to uh, search the inward parts of our hearts and illuminate things about us that we don't know about ourselves. It's supposed to tell us about other people things we don't know about them. That's what the Bible's supposed to do for us. So we have to come to the Bible with this fundamental understanding that everything it says about us and the world and everything around us is absolutely true. 
Now, you may not be there right now. You, you may not believe that. You may not be able to embrace that idea quite yet. But I tell you, as a person who has, has been attempting over the course of my life to believe the things in this book, uh, I have found that as I test him and I try him, he is proven over and over again. And I believe many other people in this room would affirm that same thing. So all scripture is breathed out by God. It's delivered to us. He, he gave it to us like a breath of life so that we could know. I mean, just think, without God's word, how, how messed up we would be. Just think of how confused we would be about the reality of what's really going on around us. We've got all these voices in our lives everywhere. We've got everybody, I don't know about you, but everybody I, I hang around with and work throughout the day, they seem to have opinions about everything. You know, they kind of know why everything's going on. They know, you know, really basic things like if the vaccine works or not. They know, um, they know, um, they, they, they know everything. I mean, pe and people feel like they have knowledge about everything. And so this, they take sort of their intuitions and the, their experiences, and they put it all together, and they come out with a, with a, a verdict. And, and there's so many verdicts around me all the time. I, I hear com competing verdicts every day, all the time. And I just, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, 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 about a year ago, my wife and I started this uh, journey of trying to become healthier and uh, eat better and stuff like that. And we were going uh, through that process, and we're, you know, you go on the internet, and you're like, how to get healthy? Oh, my goodness, like, you get so much stuff, and all of it contradicts each other. It's awful. It's, it's like, mind-numbing. And so what we had to do is we had to choose somebody and submit ourselves fully to them, you know? We had to go and say, okay, we're going to trust that you know how to do this, and you're going to tell us how to do it. So this is what we do when we go to God and his word. We submit ourselves to God, and we say, all scripture, everything in this book is breathed out by God for me. Okay? And the second thing I want you to see is that not just is all scripture from God, but second, I want you to see that all scripture is for maturity. The purpose of God's word in our lives is to bring about mature faith in us. When we see things right as God sees them, when we believe things right as God believes them, and when we act in accordance with the commands of this book, we become mature. That is what maturity is. There is no Christian maturity apart from knowledge and obedience in accordance with God's word. We can't be mature spiritually yet reject the teachings of God's word. That is immaturity. Maturity is recognizing that all scripture is from God and submitting ourselves to it. That involves knowing it, knowing what it says. Sometimes that's the problem. We just don't know what it says. But it also involves obeying it and coming up to parts of it that don't seem quite right to us and saying, nonetheless, not my will but yours be done to God. So all scripture is not just breathed out by God, but it's for our maturity. It says in the passage that it completes us and it equips us. That's what it does. It says all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for, uh, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped. That's the goal there. The Bible's given to us so that you'd be complete and equipped. So why do you have the Bible? God gave it to you because he wants you to be complete and equipped. Okay, so what's that mean? Now, I think these other things that are mentioned in there, teaching, reproof, correction, training, I think these are, these are um, uh, individual points, but the, the overarching idea is completeness and equipped. A completeness is the idea that we've got everything that we need to function. It's not that we're totally perfect, but we've got everything we need. We're, we're sort of, we're sort of uh, uh, got, got the tools that we need to do the job. So all scripture is for our maturity to bring us uh, to completion and to make us equipped. So the scripture teaches us. 
See, I just already said this, but we believe wrong things about ourselves. I mean, before you were a Christian, and be, especially if you became a Christian as an adult, I mean, just think about all the things you, you, all the wrong things you believed about yourself. I mean, you believed fundamentally that you were basically a good person. But when you became a Christian, you got confronted with the fact that actually I'm a wicked person. That's a pretty different thing, right? I believed this thing about myself, and then as time went on, I, I, I saw that God's perspective about me was different. I believed that other people were basically good people. Maybe. Depends on your demeanor, probably. <laughs> Some of you probably thought other people weren't good people. Uh, but, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's the common sense in the world, that, that people around us are basically good people. And, but the God, tell, uh, God in his word tells us something different. We believe that God was, was probably there, but detached from our lives. But then we look to the Bible, and the Bible told us he's not detached from our lives. He, in fact, is very intricately aware of all the details of our lives. It changed our perspective in huge ways, right? He knows the number of hairs on our head. He, he knows the thoughts and intentions of our heart. This is a present God who knows all about us, not a God who's distant, who doesn't know anything about us. So scripture teaches us, so we, we, our, our wrong views are, are adjusted to become right views. And so, uh, so we see that scripture teaches us things about ourselves, things about God, things about sin, things about Satan. You know, this world teaches us that Satan's sort of like a fairy tale, you know. But God's word teaches us, no, Satan is a real and present adversary in our lives. He is, he is scheming to, to uh, distract us and take us away from the truthfulness of God. And so we, we learn those things from Scripture, and we become mature as we embrace those things one by one. We, we, we don't become mature, mature as we know them, as we hear them. We become mature as we accept them and embrace them. So teaching, uh, reproving, this is like confronting. The Bible confronts us. Have you guys noticed that? I mean, I, sometimes I'm reading the Bible, and I'm confronted. I think I was, I was thinking of a specific instance where um, this happened a few years ago, but I, we, have a, we have a good friend, one of my best friends, who, um, who I, I, uh, I, he, a hilarious thing happened in his life. I, I can't tell you what it is, but a hilarious thing happened. Let's just say that. It was embarrassing to him, but hilarious to me, okay? <laughs> and um, <clears throat> so I, I loved this story. And, I, you know, when you're at a party, you've got that one or two stories that just always wins. You know, it just always crushes at the party. Well, this was that story. Well, he was the butt of the joke, but... This was the story that at every party I told this story and it always got uh, a big laugh. It always was really well accepted. And I was reading the Bible one day, not even thinking about that situation at all. And there was a passage that said, he who discloses the secrets of a friend, roughly, I'm like, um, uh, this is Clint's authorized version, but uh, he discloses the secrets of a friend isn't a good friend, essentially. And I said, oh, can't ever tell that story again. Oh, I love that story. You know? <laughs> I can't, and, I, and I texted him a picture of the verse, and I said, I'm sorry that I've told that story over and over again. I'll never tell that story again. And, uh, and uh, he, he said, thank you. And I didn't even know I was offending him by telling him the story. I thought he would say, no, it's not a big deal. But he was like, thanks. Yeah, please stop telling that story. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, the Bible just confronted me in a way that if he'd have said that to me, I'd have probably been like, oh, no, man, that story's funny. You know, I just kept saying it. I'm not, I'm not exactly the most sensitive fellow. So 
my, my, the point I'm trying to make is that's one example of how like, I'll just be reading the Bible just, just normally and I get confronted with God and his word. And it's incredible. So I get reproved by God. I get corrected by God. So I, I, sometimes I'm told, uh, you know, by the Bible, you're doing this one thing. You're acting in this one way. You're believing this one thing. And I get corrected. My, my uh, teaching uh, changes. My understanding or my belief changes as I mature. And then it trains me too. So it's not just that it, it corrects me, but it actually teaches me how to live right. So the scripture is not just from God, but it's for our maturity so that we would be equipped and we would be complete. And the last thing I want you to see is that all maturity is for mission. This is the real heart of what I want to say to you today. All maturity is for mission. Look what the passage says. Um, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What are we equipped for? Every good work. Like, that is why God's making us mature. So that we can do every good work. Here's the crux of what I want you to see today. What I want you to see today is that I believe that at many Christians believe that God breathed out the word. Many Christians um, will uh, believe that all that scripture, all that breathed word from God is for our maturity. But not many Christians will use that maturity to minister to other people. That's where it breaks down for most of us. And this, this church is an aim, we have an aim to be a people who are doers of God's word, who act on the things we know about God. I don't, I don't know about you, but if I'm being critical about other churches that I've been involved in, there has been a sense that the, the church's uh, uh, view of maturity is very much about knowledge and understanding and not much about doing. What I mean is it's possible to see somebody in the church is very mature who knows a lot of things about God but applies very little of it. And, and for me, it, it turns my stomach to think of us leading a church that that would be true in because the Bible so specifically condemns that sort of behavior. So I don't, I don't want us to become people who are increasingly um, aware of God's word. In fact, the scripture actually teaches us that more, the more we become aware of God's word, the more responsible we are for God's word. It says those who teach the word of God are held to a stricter judgment, right? So those are the ones that, that understand the word of God enough that they can actually teach it to other people. Why are they held to a stricter judgment? Because they understand the word of God. So are they going to now translate what they know into ministry for other people? So here's the thing I want you to see. That God, God gave us his word. God gave us his word for our maturity. And there is no maturity apart from the mission of God. We can't be mature in Christ unless we are on mission with God. All discipleship should have a destination. That's another way to say it. So if you consider yourself growing in your faith, yet your, your obedience to God's fundamental teachings aren't changing. You're not getting... You're not getting better at doing Christianity, then you are not, in fact, maturing. Maturing. There's no biblical discipleship absent a missional orientation. What I mean is everything that we do in our life, all of the growth that we have in our Christian life is for the purpose of us becoming ministers of the gospel to other people. It's not just for ourselves. 
uh, all biblical discipleship is for missional orientation. Biblical discipleship is, a, is spiritual formation for the purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. See, the Great Commission is, is the goal of Christian maturity. We want to be a church that refuses to disconnect discipleship from the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Why is it that we're constantly talking about church plants going out and people going out on mission teams and supporting the refugees and, and doing all these things in our own community, doing outreach in our community? Why are we a church that's so focused on that? Wouldn't it be better if we just kind of focused on knowing, 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 and knowing more? That'd be a lot easier church to attend in some ways. I mean, sometimes I think about the things I'm trying to urge you all to do, and I get tired thinking about those things. You know, I know that, that it, is, um, it is sometimes... Uh, heavy to have those pressures because I don't want to make those changes in my life. But what God, uh, God, God's purpose for maturity in our life is that the world would be blessed because of our maturity. When, when you grow closer to Jesus, your neighbors should benefit. When you understand a truth about the gospel, your kids should be blessed by it. When you know something uh, knew about the way God works in the world, the person who sits in the cubicle next to you should gain some of the benefit of that. We want to be a church that refuses to disconnect discipleship from activity, Great Commission activity. At Pillar, we, would, we don't want to just build our discipleship strategies around learning alone. We want to be a place that there is significant focus on doing the work of the ministry. We want to be doers of the word, not simply hearers, is what I'm saying. A focus on believing and knowledge to become mature misses the reality that the path to becoming mature always includes faith-filled obedience. This is even true in everyday life. It's not just true in the gospel's work. It's true in everyday life. I mean, you wouldn't go to a doctor who had been through medical school and graduated with high marks but never performed a surgery or never put his hand on a patient. You wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't want to go hunting with a gun collector who'd never shot one, right? You wouldn't want to, you wouldn't, uh, you know, I, and, but I think, I feel like in the church, we've gotten really accustomed to uh, the training, 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 training with no particular goal in mind for that training. It's like we just go learn just for the sake of learning. And we ha somehow have this idea that that's going to make us mature. And, and so... Uh, I think what we're trying to do today, in a sense, is to, is to say, no, our mission as a church is not to know as much as we possibly can about this God that we love and serve, but it's to take what we do know about him and apply it by becoming his hands and feet in the world, by bringing the message of the gospel to others. See, because we are ambassadors of a message. Going back to the, the first passage we looked at today, our, we, are, we are to bring about the message of reconciliation and peace to those who are unreconciled to God. So really what God is doing in me is intended to be a benefit and a blessing to those who are not me. You would, uh, you know, I, I just think of it, I think of it like this, I just think of the, the ways in which churches are doing training, and sometimes we do training here. We fall into these ruts too, where it's just learning and learning and learning for, for learning's sake, and there's very, it, there's very often not um, an intended activity with that learning. There's not a connected way in which we're going to take that knowledge we have of God and apply it in the lives of people around us. We, ha we expect that to happen organically. And, and I just want to say, say to you that that's sort of like, that's sort of like 
rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing but never playing in a concert. It's sort of like going to practice and practice and practice and practice but never playing in the game. We are maturing here. We come here, we gather together to hear from God, to strengthen our faith so that we can disperse into the world and become His hands and feet in the lives of other people. And we are not mature if we only gather to learn but never scatter to minister. I'm struck with what I see in Scripture on this subject. I think of Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not just equip the saints, right? Like pastors are commanded, equip the saints. And he could have just stopped there. It could have been, that's enough. Equip the saints. Like, that'd be my job as a pastor. That would be pretty cool, right? Just come, equip you guys. I don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. I just get you all ready to do something, you know? And, and, and then we go away from there. Equip the saints, though, for the work of the ministry. You know, we're told so clearly in James to be to not just hearers alone, but doers. How more, much more explicit can we get than that? I even think of James and John, or no, I'm sorry, Peter and Andrew, uh, who were um, invited to follow Jesus. When Jesus inv- invited them from the shore, he invited them. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't just say, follow me. The following was for purpose. There was a destination in mind to their following. They were going somewhere. Jesus was taking them somewhere. And I want to say to you that it is possible that you are equipping yourself in the Christian life sort of uh, in an ambiguous way, but you don't have any particular way in mind to use that. Sometimes we're so paralyzed with, I don't know what God wants me to do, that we just equip ourselves and equip ourselves and equip ourselves. And that's the equivalent to the, the kid who goes to college and never declares a major. So are we Christians who are sort of going to college but not declaring a major? I mean, it's better to declare a major and to do something for a little while and realize, hey, I don't like that, I want to do something else, or God's calling me somewhere else. You know, if you were to come into my office uh, and look on on my walls, you'd see my ordination certificate hanging on the wall, and it says, my ordination certificate says, I'm ordained as a minister of praise and worship. You know, and it's pretty funny because none of you, most of you, don't even know anything about me doing anything like that. You know, I have an undergraduate degree and a master's degree in music, you know, and most of you are like, huh? You know, that's, that's strange because I don't do that. But if God would have told me when I was a teenager that I would be doing this kind of thing, I'd have been like, no, 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 that's not what I want. I want to be a musician. But God took me on this road. He took me on this journey and unveiled things to me along the way. And so what I'm saying to you is that you are being equipped by God. If you are in his word and you are in his church, you have to find a way. You have to find a way to use those things he's teaching you to bless other people around you. So the passage we looked at today also is a beautiful example. All scriptures breathed out by God and useful for teaching. It's for a reason. And it's for every good work. That's why God gives us his word. That's why he grows us so that we can be a blessing to other people. I hope you'll be, um, if you're members tonight, I hope you'll be at the members meeting tonight. We are going to do everything we can to give you, to show you, to paint some pictures of some incredible opportunities we have to minister to other people in our community and around the world. Um, You may not know that we have at Pillar a thing we call the multiplication pathway. And uh, this is really leader speak. We talk about this a lot in our elder meetings. In fact, everything we do around here is, is organized by this, even though uh, as a person who attends, you may not see that or understand that very much. But it basically has four uh, categories. We, we, we basically put every person who attends church here into, into a category in our minds and for our, uh, to help them mature and move along. Those categories are connect, 
cultivate commission and care. So we basically say, for everybody here, we think they primarily need one thing. Not they only need one thing, but they primarily need this at this stage of their life right now. They need to be connected to the body. They need to be cultivated. They need to grow in their faith. They don't know enough. They need to, they need to understand more about God. Or they need to be commissioned. That means they need to take that stuff they know and they need to go out and serve other people with it. Or they, they, they have something else going on in our life that, that gives them, you know, it makes them preoccupied and they just need care right now. They need to be cared for. And so what I want to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and make this sermon as practical as any sermon you've ever seen. I'd like you to uh, take out your phone if you have it. And I'd like you to go to PillarDumfries.com backslash MyFit. PillarDumfries.com backslash MyFit. Or text the words MyFit to 97,000. So do that real quick just for, uh, just humor me here. You got your phone, uh, text, or uh, go to the website, pillardumfries.com backslash myfit, or 97,000, text 97,000 the words myfit. And when you get there, what you're going to see is you're going to see some, uh, a little diagnostic tool. These are some diagnostic questions. And by filling this out, I want you to understand what you're doing. This is a, a direct application. By filling this out and submitting it, what we're going to do, what you're going to do is you're going to be saying to the elders who are in charge of that particular category that you submit in that, um, that you're going to be telling them where you are. Because when we come here on, on Sunday, it's a one-sided conversation, right? We say to you, uh, whatever it is, that the, thus saith the Lord, but you don't necessarily get to say anything back. And so this is an opportunity for you to say something back, and our goal would be to help move you along the pathway of maturity for mission. Because the truth is, if you are going through the most difficult season of your life, you're preoccupied and you can't serve God on mission. If you don't know enough about God's word to go and teach it to others, then you're not able to be used by God for that. If, if you are not even sure you believe the gospel, you can't be used by God to multiply the mission of God. So we want to understand where you are as an individual. So what I want to ask you to do is go through this and just check the boxes that apply to you. I'm going to walk through these real quickly, and you just check the ones that apply to you. Maybe you need connection if you're uncertain if you're a Christian or not. Maybe you just, just honestly would say, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I, I, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I know some things about Jesus, but I'm not sure I'm a Christian. Next, that you have significant doubts about the truthfulness of major Christian doctrine. So maybe I consider myself a Christian, but there's some things about the Christian faith that I just don't buy. Maybe you participate in worship sometimes, but you're not convinced that there's a vital connection with a church, uh, that a vital connection with a church is really all that important. If that's true about you, just check that box. Maybe you're not sure if it's important for you to spread the gospel to other people. You maybe believe the gospel for yourself, but I don't think it's my responsibility to get the gospel to other people. So maybe you need some form of connection. Maybe you need to be cultivated in some way. You believe the gospel, but you have difficulty articulating it. You believe the basics of Christian doctrine, but I have trouble defending those doctrines. If that's true of you, check that box. Being a part of a church is important to me, but I lack relational depth with other believers. I bet a bunch of you are in that category. I bet a bunch of you like coming here, believe the church is important, but don't have any meaningful friendships or connections with other people here. 
Let me give you some sub-diagnostic questions that aren't on here that might help you know if that's you or not. If a major event happened in my life, and the first five people I'd call is not somebody that goes to this church. Um, uh, if, if I was going through something really, really difficult, would I, in the first few people I'd reach out to, reach out to anybody who's connected with this body? Next, um, I want to share my faith, but I, I don't know where to begin. I, I've had the impulse to share my faith with other people, but I never open my mouth because I'm afraid I won't be able to deliver. And maybe you're in the commission category. You say, I feel confident sharing the gospel, but I would struggle to help others become effective in evangelism. So I can talk to people maybe at work or, or on the, at the park or in my neighborhood, but I don't think I could really help anybody else because I'm not, I'm not confident enough that I could help somebody else. I feel confident I understand the Bible uh, and I'd like to grow in my ability to teach it and proclaim it to others. I feel responsible for the spiritual health and maturity of others. I need more training to help other people grow, though. I sometimes wrestle with the question, am I called to ministry? Or think about how to leverage my career to advance the kingdom of God. I'm not always talking about ministry being like a vocational calling, sort of uh, like what you see Pastor Colby doing, but, but, but sometimes it's figuring out how can you can use your everyday skills, gifts, and abilities to leverage for the kingdom of God. And lastly, care. It's difficult for me to think about ministering to other people because uh, even though I might want that, there's a sin that's dominating my life. It's just got a grip on me. It's got control over me. It's difficult for me to think about ministering to other people because I'm uh, experiencing a difficult trial and it has me completely preoccupied. I'm not focused on my spiritual growth or maturity or helping other people. I can't think about others because I've got to constantly be focused on this, this thing that's going on in my life. And hear me, I, this is not a criticism. That may be a legitimate thing. You may really need to be focused on that thing. But wouldn't it be great if your brothers and sisters in Christ knew that you were going through that and could help you go through that? Next, it's difficult for me to think about ministering to others because I'm hurting over a situation from my past. There's something in my past that is just a blockade for me. I cannot get past it. And last, it's difficult for me to think about ministering to others because I have a secret in my life that I know I need to confess, but I've not been able to bring myself to do that. So what I want you to do is, after you've ticked those boxes, I want you to scroll back up through, and I want you to see which one kind of best characterizes where you are in your Christian life right now. And I'd like you to choose it from that drop-down list below. And it's a bold move, but I'd ask you to just hit submit. Here's why it's a bold move, because somebody's probably going to follow up with you and try to help you. These, our elders, like I told you, are broken up into categories. So we have uh, elders uh, that are responsible for helping connect people to the body. Elders that are responsible for helping run our, our groups and our education ministries that help people grow. We have elders that are responsible for the commissioning of people to go out and do ministry um, in other places, in our community, connected with our church, planting other churches, uh, serving in their community, doing evangelism, all of those things. And then we have elders specifically designated to care for those who are hurting in some significant way. So would love it if you would submit that and give our elders the opportunity to follow up with you and be a part of helping you uh, grow in whatever way possible. So again, my attempt here has been to be as, as practical as possible uh, and I want you to see that the, 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 the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 
is, is so good for us. God's word is given to us. It's given to us for our maturity. And our maturity is brought about so that we could be used as missionaries for God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be a people who are used by you. I just think about what, what in the world could it be like if 200 people associated with this church were in some way, shape, or form using their maturity to bring about reconciliation in the world. Let's think about what kind of impact we could have as a church in our own neighborhood, in our own city, if we were dedicated to leveraging our gifts for the maturity of others, to bless others, to help others. Think about the opportunities that exist around us all the time. I think about the people in this very congregation who, who need to, need to de- dedicate a larger portion of their lives to be used by you. That we would worship you by telling you that we value you so much that we want to just not just give our intellect to you, but give our hands to you. God, would you use us in ways that we didn't think were, were quite possible before? Would you strengthen us with your word and compel us to go out and serve your people. God, you are reconciling the world to yourself. Your son has already done the work on the cross. God, Not that we don't want to be the people to drop the ball. God, give us a passion and a clarity to use what it is you've done in our life for the, for the building of your kingdom, the advance of your work in this community and around the world. We love you, God. Please help us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.